Well, uh, that is just a latest example of uh, what's happening through our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative. Uh, we have been seeing some exciting changes uh, taking place in our children's ministry building. And if you haven't checked it out, feel free to go over, uh, take a walk around sometime, and I think you'll be excited to see uh, how we're in, improving and strengthening things. And I, I just want to invite you now, if you haven't done this already, uh, to open your Bibles, get them out as we continue in our series, uh, The Power of Habits. And today, uh, we are looking at the habit of washing feet. The habit of washing feet. And we're going to be studying together the call uh, of Jesus on every Christ follower to live as a servant. And you might be surprised uh, that we are looking at servanthood as a crucial habit for the Christ follower. Maybe you've never thought about serving as a spiritual discipline or a habit that a disciple should develop, but I want you to think about it this way. If you've been here the last two weeks, you know that we have looked at Bible intake and prayer. We've seen that these are the two most important spiritual habits that we can develop. They are keystone habits, spiritually speaking, and you've heard me say that nothing that you can do in your life is more significant than spending time with God deepening your relationship with him. And servanthood is the habit where this happens, uh, what happens in your times with God, how it gets translated out into the world. And I want to be real clear, servanthood is not an option for a Christ follower. See, the Bible makes it so very clear. You were created to serve. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible says you were saved to serve. That's the reason for your salvation. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And the Bible says you are commanded to serve. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus describes the reason he came to earth. Very familiar verse. You probably know it. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Jesus says, I came to serve, I came to give. And these two verbs, well, they should define our lives as well. So we're going to do two things today. And first, I'm going to show you what true servanthood looks like by taking you to what probably is the best picture we have of this. It's in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It's the famous, familiar story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And then we're going to next take a look at how to build a habit of servanthood, some practical steps that we can use uh, to develop this habit in our lives. So with that, let's dive in. Uh, what does true servanthood look like? And I want you to see four characteristics from this story. And the first one is this, true servanthood flows from love. Look at verse 1 as this story opens. John writes, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
Now we know from reading John's entire gospel that this is the night before Jesus died, that this is his last meal with his disciples, that he has less than 24 hours left to live. And what he most wants to do is to show them how much he loved them. Now as we are going to see, and if you have read this story before, you already know, Jesus is going to do this by washing his disciples' feet. And I think sometimes we kind of miss what's really going on here because we live in such a different time. And to really grasp this, we need to understand the historical and cultural background for this story. You need to know, if you don't already, that washing feet was not a job that anyone wanted. And back then, it was way, way worse than you might imagine. Uh, In that day, roads were seldom paved. They were just dirt trails, so they're going to be dusty, dry in summertime. They're going to be muddy bogs in the wintertime when it rained. And livestock traveled the road, and livestock did back then what livestock still do today. You can fill in the blanks on that. On top of all of that, there were no sewer systems, so people dumped their garbage and other things out on roads. People, when they walked on these roads, wore open-toed sandals, uh, which meant that these would be feet that had thick coats of dust and mud and manure and filth. And that is why it was so important, why it was customary for a host to provide a slave at the door to wash the feet of the dinner guests as they arrived. And that's why this slave would kneel down when people entered the house and they'd, he'd have a basin of water and he'd have a pan and a towel and he would wash the filthy feet. And this was such an unpleasant job that only the lowliest slaves did it. Not every slave did it. Evidently, there were some slaves that said, I don't do dirty feet. But what we see in this story is that Jesus did. Jesus did. And I want you to notice what John says. John says Jesus served because why? Because he loved. Notice the phrase, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So Jesus puts no limit on his love. He loves the disciples so much that he even was going to wash their dirty feet. So I have a question for you. Do you do dirty feet? That would be a good question. If you want to meditate on this passage of Scripture, you should write it down. Do I do dirty feet? Do you do dirty feet? And then maybe you should think about this. What's dirty feet for you? Because it'll be different for different ones of us. You see, building the habit of servanthood will always require we wash some filthy feet. You can't become a servant doing stuff that you just want to do. Does this make sense? I just need to make sure you're with me on this one, okay? You know, if you're going to be a servant, servants don't get to do everything that they want to do. True servants always will have to do some things they don't really want to do. And if you don't understand that, you'll, you'll never become a servant. And it all goes back, back to love. It all goes back to love. I was thinking about the excuses that all of us give for serving. And you know what the most common excuse that we all give for serving is in our culture today? You probably do. You could probably answer it before I even tell you. It's, I'm too busy I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. And I want you to see something that's very significant, comes right out of this verse. John writes, Jesus knew 
that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Again, that means, as I mentioned earlier, within hours, God's Son will be hanging on a cross, atoning for the sins of the world. Can we all agree that nothing more momentous in the history of the world has ever happened than this? And nothing ever will. And yet, Jesus, God's Son, had time to wash filthy feet. You know what I think? I think that most of us pretty much find a way to do the stuff that we want to do. Can I get a witness? Just on the principle of God's people being honest with each other today. (laughs) We do what we want to do. We find the time to do the things that we really want to do. And so therefore, I think if I don't serve, it's probably because I don't really want to serve, at least in this way. And if that happens, and when that happens, I I think the reason usually is I need to grow some in my love. I'm not motivated by love. So I want you to ask yourself as you're just thinking about this, am I not serving as I should? And that's going to be different for different ones of us. Am I not serving as I should because I don't love as I should? Because this is where serving starts. It starts with love. See, if you have a problem serving, it means you have a problem loving. True servanthood flows from love. Here's a second characteristic. A true servanthood is marked by humility. Listen to verses 2 through 5. John writes, the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's kind of unpack this a little more. I want you to see that what Jesus did in washing his disciples' feet was incredibly humble. It was, first of all, uh, humble because it was a physically unpleasant task for, for all the reasons that we mentioned. And I want you to enter into this a little bit more. I want you to think about what's going on here. This was just awkward. It was really, really awkward. I mean, think about it, okay? There's 12 disciples. They have how many feet? Just testing basic math skills of this group this morning. 24 feet. And so that means if Jesus spends a minute or so on each foot, then him doing this is going to take around a half an hour. A half an hour of Jesus washing feet. Jesus hunched over those dirty feet, scrubbing off ground in dirt and manure and filth. A half an hour of embarrassed silence. Each disciple looking at each other, looking at the ground, not looking at Jesus, trying not to look at him. It was a very, very unpleasant thing to do. And it was also, again, something we don't see as much socially degrading. Now, this is something we don't get as, as, as clearly because um, in our culture, the roles are not clearly defined like they were back then. They were very clearly defined uh, uh, back then. 
And even today, I mean, you know, it's pretty normal to wash your own feet, right? How many of you wash your own feet? Somebody doesn't wash your feet generally for you. Um, and it's normal to wash your own feet kind of like this. Maybe you can think of it this way. It's like it's normal for you to floss your own teeth. You, you don't ask someone to floss your teeth for you, right? I mean, that would be weird. That would be awkward. You, you wouldn't do that. But again, back then, if someone did wash your feet, they would always be your social inferior. They would always be far below you in status. They would be a slave. And again, in our culture, status is not quite as big a deal, but in their culture, it was. Uh, this culture is what we would call an honor-shame culture. Social standing and respecting your superiors and knowing your place, very high priorities for them. And there are some of us here who, who come from cultures like this, and so we probably get better than those of us who only have known American culture, what's going on here. Because in our culture, we tend to de-emphasize status and, and place and things like that. I mean, you know, if you went, for example, to a restaurant with your boss, and like it was this place that had free drink refills, and you had finished your, your glasses, both of you had, of your soft drink or whatever, and your boss just said, hey, let me get you a, a refill. And he grabbed both glasses and, and went to refill them, you probably would not say, oh, oh no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't do that. You, you are shaming me. Uh, you're my superior. Uh, let me serve you. You probably would let him refill your glass for you because he asked, and it's kind of a nice thing to do. But see, in that culture, something like that would have been a big deal. I was trying to kind of get a, a, an idea of what it might have felt like that for them, and I, I imagine this. Let's just say you invited your boss over to your house for dinner. And during the meal, he excused himself. And he was gone for a while. And you began to wonder where he was. So you went and checked. And you found him in your bathroom cleaning your toilet. <laughs> yeah, right. You get it? You don't want him to do that, right? You, you don't want him to clean your toilet. Even if your toilet needs to be clean. In fact, if it needs to be clean, that's even worse. But that's not what a guest is supposed to do. You, you would be embarrassed. You would say, please don't do that. And it's kind of this feeling that's going on here. Jesus, why are you doing this? Jesus, why would you humble yourself like this? And again, Jesus was willing to humble himself and serve because he loved. I'm going to make two quick observations about humble service that we see really uh, coming from this text, I think. First of all, humility doesn't draw attention to itself. Uh, you may notice if you read this, Jesus never says any word about washing feet. He just starts washing. Do you do, you do that when you serve? Uh, let me ask it this way. Ha have you ever served and then you made sure that some other people noticed? Kind of quiet in here right now, right? Because I think we've all done that. See, here, here's the thing. When, when you are truly humbly serving, you don't need an Instagram shot of your service. Hashtag, honor to serve. <laughs> Hashtag, honor to make a difference. 
You know, you, you, you don't need to do that. You don't say, look what I'm doing, because when you are humbly washing feet truly out of love, no one needs to know because you don't care, because serving is not about you. It's about loving people. It's about glorifying God. Secondly, and I'm going to let you know ahead of time, get yourself ready, buckle your seatbelts. This is about to get convicting. Humility doesn't care if anyone notices. And I believe the mark of a true servant is that he or she doesn't really want to be noticed. They don't care if anyone sees. Their only concern is to please God by serving. And since they know that God sees everything, they just serve. They're content with the fact that their Father in heaven is watching them and that he will reward them for their deeds. Let me put it this way in case you haven't gotten it yet. One of the signs that your humility may need a little work is when you get upset that no one noticed. Can we all say, ouch? Because that's the problem, right? I am perfectly willing to serve in all humility as long as you know that I did it. And you should be laughing at that because that doesn't make sense. That doesn't actually work. And some of you here, you ought to know this. You ought to realize this about yourself. Some of you, I don't have anybody in mind because I don't know that it's happened recently here at this church. But there have been plenty of people in the time I've pastored a church over 35 years who have said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Why? Because nobody noticed. Nobody said, thank you. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't appreciate other people. In fact, I want to work on this as a leader, and all of us should work on it, being grateful and telling other people about it. We should do our best to thank other people. But sometimes that just doesn't happen. Who knows exactly why? And if you serve and you don't get recognized and you get angry or you just quit, that's pride. That's pride. See, true servanthood is marked by humility. And humility doesn't really care because it's not about me. There's a third characteristic we can see in this story. A true servant it also receives as well as gives. I want you to notice this in verses 6 through 11. John says that he, that's Jesus, came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Peter, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. <laughs> Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, again, none of the disciples really wanted Jesus to wash their feet. But as usual, Peter was the one who spoke up. You might say that Peter put his foot in his mouth. Um, and then again, maybe you wouldn't say that. Peter says, no way, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Well, why did he say that? Was it because Peter was humble? No. I don't know exactly if it was pride or shame or a mixture of both, but Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. It just wasn't right. And Peter's reaction points to the fact that sometimes some of us have trouble not just with giving, but also with receiving. 
Maybe you've tried to give someone a gift sometime and they, or you tried to do something for them and they just didn't want it and they kind of discouraged you, they kind of pushed you away. Sometimes they even refused to receive your gift. Do you know why? Well, it's almost always a backward kind of pride because accepting a gift means admitting a need and they don't want to do that. It's pride. And Jesus is showing us here in in part, how important it is for servants to learn to receive as well when he says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no, no part with me. Jesus is making a subtle point here. It's not just about washing feet. There's a dual meaning. Of course, it first refers to foot washing that Jesus was giving. But more importantly, it speaks of the spiritual cleansing that Peter needed to have if he was to be a follower of Jesus. And, and when we see these two meanings together, See, the importance of receiving, I think, becomes obvious. To become a disciple, a Christ follower, each of us must receive Jesus' forgiveness and grace. And that is an enormous thing, to have your sins forgiven. And here's the comparison. If we will receive that from him, why should not we receive service from other people? And if you don't want to do that, it means you're proud. It means you're proud. A true servant not only gives, but also receives. Finally, fourth thing we see about true servanthood, it is moved to action by obedience. And I just want to keep kind of making the point, I think you've been catching it, but, but obedience is, is almost always part of true servanthood because serving will often not be something that we want to do. And sometimes to serve truly, we just need to be obedient Sometimes it's a particular someone that we need to serve that we don't want to serve. Ever had that happen to you? That's what's happening here. Think about who's at the table. First of all, there's Judas. Can you imagine what was going through Jesus' mind as he held Judas's foot? I mean, he is touching his betrayer. This is the man who is going to end him. And Jesus knows. I mean, he's already said it back in verse 1. I can do anything that I want. I have all power. I could end this before it begins. Jesus holds all things in his hands, the Bible says. But at this moment, his hands are scraping manure off Judas' feet. Think of who else was there. Peter. Peter is so passionate. I mean, he talks a great game, doesn't he? But he has no follow-through. And by the end of this night, he will go from saying, I will die for you, Jesus, to I don't even know who Jesus is. All in one night. And think about the other disciples. They're just the same. They're really no better. They're doubters. They're fearful. They're weak. Every single one of them will let Jesus down. Why is Jesus doing this for these people? Well, it's because of what we call grace, God's kindness to those who don't deserve it. See, one of the things that helps us see what's going on here is this deeper spiritual truth that God never says to us, you got to clean yourself up and then I will love you. He says, I love you already. Let me make you clean. I want to be in relationship with you. Let me make it so that you can come into my presence without guilt and, and shame. You see, God doesn't love us because we're worthy. He makes us worthy because he loves us. And that's grace. And recognizing grace moves us to obey 
and serve. See, our obedience flows out of what Jesus has already done for us. Now, don't miss this. Again, in these verses, there is the command of Jesus for us to serve, that service is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus asks a question to get the disciples to think about what he's done. Look at verses 12 and following. It says, when he, finished, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And notice Jesus throws the disciples a curve here. They might have expected him to say, you know, I wash your feet. So quid pro quo, you wash my feet. And we would like that deal, right? Who here would love to wash Jesus' feet if you had the opportunity? That would be an awesome, amazing thing. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, wash one another's feet. And we say, ugh. Ugh. I mean, wash one another's feet? That, you know, that's not what we'd expect, but that's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, if you want to serve me, then you serve others. That's how you do it. He concludes his teaching, verses 16 and 17. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I have a question for you. It's a real simple question. Do you want God's blessing in your life? Jesus says the secret of blessing is very, very simple. Build the habit servanthood into your life you're going to be blessed if you serve and the opposite is true and it's the reason why some of you can't figure out why you're not being blessed by God you're not serving so how do we do this how how do we experience this blessing how do we build a habit of servanthood well let me give you two things and the second one I'll just give you a heads up is a little longer than the first Uh, The first one is don't make serving too complicated. Just real practical. Don't make serving too complicated. Now, in Matthew 5, familiar words, Jesus tells us who we are, and he also tells us how we're to serve. You may know these words very much by heart. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so Jesus is just a reminder of something I think we know more and more clearly in the 21st century when it comes to getting his message out to this jaded, this uninterested, spiritually uninterested world about the only thing that causes people to pay attention is compassion, is serving other people. Serving has a way of getting through to people. Serving uh, causes people to, to, to turn around and look. You know, people crane their heads to see the light And they do a double take when they see selfless acts of love and service. And salt, well, salt tastes good, right? (laughs) Jesus says servanthood is irresistible. Servanthood is beautiful. Anytime that you do it, you are spreading light and spreading salt. And so Jesus says to his followers, just be salt, just be light. Now, here's one of the things that's going on right now. I know it is. Um, I've been doing this a long time. You know, whenever someone like me says stuff like this to someone like you, many of you out there right now have kind of folded your arms and you're saying, okay, yeah, I know where this is going. I see where this is headed. He's trying to get me to sign up to work with junior hires or something. 
Uh, you think this is just a recruitment pitch. You think that we're trying to fill slots around here and I'm coming after you. And I, I want to say I, I make no apology ever for asking you to serve here at Southwinds. If you consider this your church home, then you should share in what's going on here. You should take some responsibility, every one of us. See, what you received here each Sunday and throughout each week, it doesn't happen by accident. I mean, literally hundreds of people across this church family are serving and have served four years to make ministry that you and your family receive possible. And if you're only taking and if you're not giving, then you should get up. And you should get out and ask some questions and try some things and find a, a place to serve. Now, this is about more than that. Because true servanthood happens not only at church, but also in our daily lives. And that's part of what we're talking about here. Uh, true servanthood happens when salt gets shaken and light shines out through small Seemingly insignificant acts of service as you go throughout your day. True servanthood happens when you see a need and you, you meet a need. Helen Keller once said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. I will not refuse to do the something I can do. So what's she saying? Well, she's saying that change comes to the world one life at a time. And why was that Jesus' plan? <laughs> well, because when we human beings come to this planet, we are born here one at a time. We die one at a time. We have our hearts broken one at a time. We suffer one at a time. And we are helped one at a time. See, serving most of the time is a one-person-at-a-time sort of venture. And that's really at the heart of what it means to be salt and light. So, so what does that look like for you in your life as you do life and you serve, as you, you just go through your life throughout the week? See, we need to get specific about this to build a habit because that's really kind of the other thing that, that gets in the way of building habits. We need to get specific about tangible next step. And so here's the second thing. Uh, make and keep small, specific commitments. See, if you're going to develop this habit, this is not about making some grand plan for your life. It's about making small and specific commitments about things you can do tomorrow and next week, maybe even today. See, when you get specific, you, you, you get rid of, uh, of the wiggle room, right? This is, this is why I hate the phrase ish at the end of a word. People say this all the time. Mike, I'll be over at your office, you know, five-ish. You know, ish gives them all kinds of latitude. Yeah, we're, Mike, we're going to have this project done for you April-ish. I don't know what that means. What am I supposed to do with that? You know, the, the worst case, obviously, is the Xfinity cable guy. You know, he says, Mr. Nolan, we'll, we'll come to your house and hook your cable up afternoon-ish. Like, what does that mean? Like, what am I supposed to do, uh, you know, all afternoon? Wait in my house for four hours just because you said ish? Like, when I'm there, do I watch TV while you're there? No. Oh, by the way, I can't watch TV because you haven't hooked it up, and I won't be able to watch TV until you haul your ish over my house and get the cable up. <laughs> so, Mr. Nolan, what do you do for a living? 
I'm a pastor-ish. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of circumstances where you don't want to hear ish, right? You know, yeah, baby, I, I love you, ish. <laughs> or Mrs. Jones, you can wake up now. Your plastic surgery was a success, ish. See, this is not only a principle of true servanthood. It's really a principle of spiritual transformation. We move from good intentions to real life change when we make and when we keep small, specific commitments. And if you've been to our discovery classes, we talk about this all the time. We tell you in those classes, you never, ever grow spiritually apart from making commitments. And it's true here in this area of servanthood as well. I want to just give you four very small, specific steps that you can take that will help you build this habit of serving in your life. Here's the first one. Start where you live. Start where you live. Have you ever been at one of those restaurants? I won't name them, but you know the ones I'm talking about where they have like a 20-page menu. It's like a novel, and you think you need to take it home and study it for a few hours before you can see what's on it. You find yourself overwhelmed. All these choices, you don't know what to get. I mean, how do I process all of this? And maybe you get overwhelmed by all the needs in the world and you just don't know where to start. Maybe you feel like I've got to do all of these different things. Maybe you even look at the church and you, you, know, you might consider volunteering over in kids' space. But then you think, you know, I'm not really a kid person. I, I usually kind of frighten small children. And so maybe that's not a good place for you to serve. Or maybe you think... I. I I can't work in guest services ministry. I can't be a greeter because I'm just kind of shy and reserved. Now, throughout the Bible, the message is, yes, we have a responsibility to meet needs around us. But I think Jesus is primarily telling us to start where we are, to start in our world. And we we see this actually all through the book of Acts. You, you, You may think that Acts is a story of all these people traveling all over the world, heroically spreading the good news of the gospel. And, and that happens, but a huge part of the story of Acts is actually people who are willing to help people and meet tangible physical needs right where they were in specific times and places. In fact, that's a huge part of the reason why the gospel message spread. I'll give you one example from Acts chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 6, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And it's kind of like clockwork. Every day, 3 p.m., Peter and John go to the temple to pray. It was their custom. It was the custom of the day. And one day they get interrupted by a need, a disabled man asking for money. And we know from Acts that Jesus gives the apostles the ability to heal. And so Peter says, I don't have money, but what I have, I'll give you. And this is really how the movement spread across the Roman Empire from this ragtag small group of Jewish people meeting together in Jerusalem. It spread, yes, because there was healing, but more often it spread because they fed hungry people. They loved on sick people, small acts of compassion. They gave what they had. 
And if you are having trouble getting started, don't, don't go outside of your world. Just be salt in life where you live, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, like even on your way to the store, maybe on the sports field, maybe with people that you do your hobbies with. Uh, Anne Frank wrote in her famous diary how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single minute before starting to improve the world. See, God puts you where you are for a reason. God puts you in that house, that apartment for a reason, in that place of work, in that office, in that cubicle for a reason. And who knows, maybe God has you drive the same route to work every day for a reason or you pick up the kids from school every day for a reason. Or you, you buy coffee at the same time and place every day for a reason. Who knows? But this is how salt and light spreads. See, this is Jesus' strategy. One life at a time. And you don't have to travel around the world. You, you can just walk down the streets of your neighborhood in Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop. I want you right now to do something. I want you to write down the name of your neighborhood. Or if you don't know what your neighborhood's called or your neighborhood doesn't have a name, just write down the name of your street. I want you to write that down, and I'm serious. I'm gonna wait here until you write it down. <laughs> I want you to write that down, and then I want you to put a question mark after it. Because there's a question. I want you to ask God how he wants you to serve right where you live, right where you live. This brings me actually to the second simple step of serving as you go. You ask God to help you see. Ask God to help you see. You see, once you know you can start where you are, then you begin to ask God to open up your eyes so you can see the needs around you. You know, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told is in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and goats. And Jesus is essentially in this parable communicating that one day he's going to hold us all accountable for how we responded to the needs in our world. And he's, he's, also, he's also making the point of whenever you serve people, it's like you're serving me. And in this story, the sheep are the people who see needs and meet them. And the goats, they're the people who are basically oblivious to needs. And so at the, the end of time, final judgment, Jesus says these goats will say, verse 44... Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See, are your eyes open to the needs around you? Would you be shocked to hear Jesus one day say to you, I put you in that neighborhood in a mountain house for a reason? I put you in that place of work in Silicon Valley for a reason. There were needs, and you didn't even notice. You didn't even care. I mean, how, how many of you, how many of you walk into Starbucks or baristas, and you go there so often that as soon as you walk in, they see you, and they start making your favorite drink? I, I know you don't have a problem. I mean, you could stop any time. But how many of you, you know, you, you go so often to a place and they know that about you. Uh, and why is it that coffee baristas seem to pay better attention to people than we do sometimes? See, are we really paying attention to the people around us, seeing the things that we need to see? 
You know, many of you are going to be in life group this week, and here's what I'd invite you to do. After you finish your Bible study in your group, take time with each other to ask, what are some needs that we see where we live or people that we know that God may be calling us to meet? You know, maybe someone has lost a job. Maybe someone is sick and they need help with meals. Maybe someone is really having trouble financially and they need some financial help. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Just realize there are needs all around you. That connects us to our third simple step, show love through simple acts. All you have to do once you notice a need is just say, God, is there something you want me to do here? Is there some act of love I could perform? And Jesus knows how, how hard it is to translate our feelings into action. I think that's why in Matthew, uh, he says this, uh, Matthew 10, 41 and 42. This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. Just simple acts, showing love, simple acts, seeing the needs and responding. Mother Teresa once said, if you can't feed a hundred people, then just feed one. You know, a cup of cold water doesn't take a lot of imagination or skill, does it? Just find something simple to do. It doesn't even take a lot of work. Just whatever God's calling you to do as you see the needs, uh, then you act and God works, and lives get changed, and the world is even changed. And that raises a question, maybe. What role does the church play in this? And I would say it revolves around step number four, and it's this, serve together with other Christ followers. Now, I want you to know here, here as we lead this church, we're not naive. We know that as you do life and you see needs, you're going to encounter some needs that you can't, you can't meet with a cup of water. There's going to be some problems that you will face with other people, problems bigger than you. You're not qualified to meet them. You don't have the skills or aptitude or experience or resources. So thank God you'll have a church at your back. You know, one of the things Jesus intended for his community is that we would be this this kind of arsenal, this storehouse of financial resources and talents and abilities that we can do things together that are bigger than we could ever do on our own. And that's what the church is about. We're to gather together and serve together. And so maybe as you go and you're looking around and praying, you're gonna see someone who's trying to get out of an abusive relationship. Well, guess what? The church has your back. We can help. You know, on Wednesdays, Many of you know this. Many of you gather across this campus for what we call care night. And there's all kinds of groups meeting across this campus, meeting practical needs, all the way from financial peace university to divorce care to grief share to sexual integrity to marriage care to our mental health groups called uh, Living Grace and Family Grace and Redefine Grace. On Fridays, we have Celebrate Recovery, meeting needs, helping people with their hurts, habits, and hangups, all ages. Every day of the week across uh, this region, we have life groups that you can invite a friend or a neighbor to. Maybe they just need a friend. Maybe they just need a place to belong. Or maybe you run into someone who has real tangible, tangible physical needs. We have benevolence resources you can use. The church has your back. But you know there's always a flip side to that? Because we are the church. 
And we all have to serve by sharing our resources, putting our gifts and our abilities and our time and our, our financial resources to make a difference here. As we, we do those things, our, our impact grows. We have greater abilities to, to serve as we are each doing our part. And that raises me to ask this question. It's a real simple question, but it really is part of service. Are you doing your part in this area? Making it possible for us together to do all the things that God's calling us to do. You know, last fall, and this is a huge part of what's going on in our church right now, we launched Southwinds Serves, which is our our three-year emphasis of meeting tangible needs in practical ways all across our communities. Uh, our, our motto in this is we believe that good deeds leads to goodwill, which opens doors for the good news. And so we serve so that we can share the gospel. Maybe you remember, and if you don't, you need to know that last fall, we as a church paid off the school lunch debt for the entire Tracy Unified School District. That happened through Breakthrough, our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative. Your gifts to Breakthrough made that possible. Last fall, we, we started just one of our Southwind Serve emphasis, a, a church-wide project to repair and restore city benches. This is something that the city of Tracy requested, and we have stepped up to do that. And maybe you noticed on the way in, some benches were getting worked on. When you leave today on your way out, you're going to see one of our life groups. They are painting benches. We got a couple of them here, so you could actually see it happening. And we're going to knock a couple of them out right here during our services today. This is to remind you, and you'll hear more about this in two weeks, February 23rd. Uh, we're going to be sending out life groups across our community to, to kind of get the next step in getting more of these benches repaired and restored. And we want to invite all of you to join in on this. Uh, it's something for all of us to do. It, it's so easy, as you're going to see in a few moments. You might, want, you might say, well, I don't feel led to do that. That's fine. Uh, remember that Southwind Serves involves all of our life groups and individuals coming up with the ideas that God gives them. And if you have an idea and you need support for that, our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative is going to provide financial resources, financial backing for your ideas where they're needed. See, the word here ultimately is do something. Find a place to serve. Find a way to serve. True servanthood is a central habit of the true Christ follower. It is not an option. It is at the very beating heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Let me end with the words Jesus ended this story with. I said them a few moments ago. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Don't miss out on a blessing a blessing that God has for you. Let's all serve our Lord and the people he loves so very deeply that he gave his life for them. Let's serve, let's do this together.